Who's down for a road trip? I love road trips. On this episode of The Foul Life, Chad Belding is headed to Cajun country to catch up with Kyle Broussard of Gator Tail. How's business? Oh man, we're wide ass open. We're good. Yeah, it's a really popular brand. Gator Tail boats were born in South Louisiana, built on quality, innovation, and hard work. I know your motors are the number one seller in the country. I mean, I want to sell a motor on the back of every aluminum boat that's built. This Gator Tail Nation, Louisiana Cajun highlight on the foul life is proudly presented by Benelli, Federal Premium Black Cloud, Traeger Grills, and Bandit Brands. In the South, there's so much culture and tradition. It's like that stuff kind of started to evaporate during the westward movement. Get ready for boats, motors, great food, and Southern outdoor culture. All aboard, Chad Belding and Kyle Broussard of Gator Tail are taking off now. What room is that you're in? It's in my house. It's a nice little room. Yeah, came here, didn't you? No. Yeah, this is in my shop at my house. But you have a you have a disconnected shop out back of your pad. Yeah, on the I side. See, see the old P-Road up there with the ducks and I got. Uh, this is where I thought we were going to shoot the podcast last year, and then we ended up doing it in the uh, shop. In the shop. How's business? Been a weird year, rocking year. What's up? Oh man, we're wide ass open. I mean, we we good. I mean, uh, we're trying to keep people motivated. I mean, usually we too busy in service. We uh, we good, man. We're good. We, our objective was to try to get all of our dealer stuff sold before the end of the year, and we almost met that objective. Really? That way we can start off. What is this? Twenty twenty four with empty shelves and you know build wide open next year. Yeah, it's a really popular brand. I see it everywhere. It's gotten. More and more leverage, more and more popular every season, no matter where I'm at. So where are you starting to see, are your boats picking up as much as you hope they would in the long run? I know your motors are the number one seller in the country, but are your boats doing what you wanted them to? Can you keep up with that demand? Yeah. I mean, the boats are doing everything we needed to do. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, I want to sell a motor on the back of every aluminum boat that's built. So you know, I'm not trying to go into competition with War Eagle and Havoc and Sea Arc and all the rest of them. You know, that's not what our objective is. Our objective is to have a boat to, to match our motor. If you sell a different boat, we have a motor to match your boat, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Has it been a uh, more diverse sell season or has it been? And I know we're going to get into a lot of this in this conversation. Kyle Broussard, a Gator Tail the Gator Tail Nation, Louisiana, but is it is it a pretty diverse consumer base right now, Kyle, as far as the waterfowl is obviously, you know, your passion is waterfowl, but you got crawfishing, you have the oil fields. Is, is Are the sales strong across the board for you in all those areas? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, at this time of the year, it's mostly uh, hunters. I mean, that's, you know, that's what the main purchaser is, you know, in this month is mostly hunters. Um, you know, this drought has affected things drastically. Uh, it's going to be a really rough, uh, efficient crawfish season, you know, commercial crawfishing. Um, they getting a very late start because of how low, because uh, of the drought. So I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Crawfishing. What, what is the, the Cajun food that you've eaten the most of during this duck season? Is it boudin? I know you love boudin like I do. What have you eaten the most of since the beginning of duck season for <laughs> as far as Cajun food goes? And I don't know. Let me think about this. We've done some gumbos. We've done some jambalaya. Um, you know, we've done just a variety of things, Chad. I mean, you know how we are, man. We're cooking. 
we're always cooking and eating something. Uh, what's, what's the most exotic food? I just had pig's feet the other night, um, and we were talking about the boucherie. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, boucherie. Yep. I want to, I want to talk about that for a second, but what's the most exotic? I know you eat gator. I know you eat frog legs. Do you eat anything that's really out there? Gator, frog legs. Um, <laughs> I tell you, <laughs> I'm going to tell you the most memorable meal of, of, of hunting season so far this year. So, me and my buddies decided we were going to go put out some jug lines. You familiar with what a jug line is? Yeah. So we caught, we got one of them stopped at the store and bought a bunch of chicken hooks. And we go out into this lake behind the property and we put out jug lines. And the next thing you know, we had a 120 quart ice chest plumb full of catfish, old, big old catfish. And uh, some of my buddies were in one place. They caught 120 quart. We caught another bushel full and we cleaned catfish. We had over a five-gallon bucket of catfish fillets. And I tell you what, that night we ate fried fish. We ate fresh corn mock shoe, which was it, my buddy had, had that grew the corn over the over the summer. And fresh crab and shrimp stew. And uh that's the video I sent you, as a matter of fact. I think I sent you that video. I tell you what, man, that was that was a fabulous night. That was the most that was the most memorable meal of duck season 2023-2024 that we've had yet. So when you say jug fishing, it's you float a jug on the top of the water with a line. Uh, you run a line off of that jug to to where you get different depths all over the lake, all over the body of water. And then you would go check them just like you would say a crawfish trap. You know, we run crawfish traps with jugs on them. But explain to the audience how that jug line works when you're messing with a heavy catfish like that. So so basically what we're doing is we, we are riding in the marsh, the same marsh that we duck hunting in. Okay. Whenever I brought you, uh, whenever we did the, uh, the, the crab, whenever we went catch crabs last year, we went on the south side of the highway. Um, this particular is on the north side of the highway. So basically we're running the shallow water marsh, you know, inches of water until we get into this lake. And the lake is, uh, let's say the lake's probably about two foot deep, two or three foot deep, maybe if that deep. So you tie a jug, on the end of a nylon, you put a nylon string on the end of the jug with a hook, and you use we use the strap uh, decoy weights for for our weight, and we throw them out. And basically, when you have a catfish on it, you can see the jug is bouncing up and down. You can stand up straight up and down. And uh, you know we use the PVC pipe. We tie a string to the PVC pipe and uh, use a uh, a noodle on it and. Uh, we basically set them up. When you get back out there and you're checking the jugs, you can tell by how far away do you have to be to tell that something's on there? Can you tell right away because oh, of the yeah. way it's bouncing up and down? Yeah, you can see. I mean, you can see in, in the distance. As long as you can see the jug, you can see whether it's moving. If it's just sitting there and it's not moving, then you know it doesn't have anything on it. But you'll see the jug moving. And you go and you pick up the jug, throw the catfish, unhook it, and then rebait it and move on to the next one. Did every jug have a fish on it when you first oh. got there? No, not everyone. Not everyone. But, uh, you know, quite a few did. It was, it was, did, Char did Charlie help you? Well, of course. You know, Charlie Charlie was, was fishing with a rod and reel with another one of our buddies at the end, you know, drinking a cold beverage while while having a, a line out in the water. Probably imitating Willie Nelson, singing some songs. <laughs> so has it been an okay duck season? I mean, as far as harvest goes, have you been getting them good? How's your new property performing? It's uh no, uh, it, the numbers, you know, our numbers are way down, Chad, but you know, buddy, it's how do you, uh, 
how do, how do you rate a duck season? I mean, for us, and we've talked about this before plenty of times, it's not all about numbers. I mean, you know, we we have and it's a new piece of property. We're getting to know it. Um, we're doing a lot of work on the property. We had, you know, we was in a drought, so we we couldn't access it. You you, you basically were walking inside of boat of boat trails. And uh, what happened with that was the aquatics that this piece of property normally holds, the aquatics couldn't grow. So the aquatics, are, we, have, we have no aquatic vegetation for food. So, I mean, but, you know, we did. We hunted last Saturday and we shot a few ducks. And people in the area, you'll have one good day, you have an off day. Um, there are some places in South Louisiana that is typically known, um, you know, to mostly kill a lot of divers. And they are having a great season this year on, let's say, gadwall, pintail, uh, widgeon. You know, so that's what I've seen in, in, in all of these years down here. Droughts do tremendous for South Louisiana. I mean, it just changes the dynamics of it. You'll have places that never kill ducks, kill ducks. You have places that normally kill ducks, don't kill ducks. So, I mean, it just uh, kind of is what it is. It's mother nature. But, you know, we still have... I mean, you know, we're going to close down here on January 21st. So, uh, you know, we still have, I guess, a third of the season to go. But we have a split uh, somewhere in between there. But we still have time. You know, we'll, we'll get them good. Any reports coming out of other parts of the states? Monroe, that area, any part? Are there any good reports coming out of Louisiana this year with the drought? Yeah, like I told you, I mean, there is. I, I, you know, these guys further to the east, um, some guys to the east that don't usually do well, they're doing well. Some of the guys to the West, I mean, now that the water's up, they're doing really well. It just varies. Uh, you know, I talked, I did, I did talk to I me, mean, even my guys in Arkansas, you know, the, that, that I'm friends with up there, their numbers are down. You know, they just, I have a feeling if we're going to get some Arctic weather coming through, once that Arctic weather starts passing, it's going to be some pretty good shoots. What species has it mainly been this year? Gadwall and, and teal, or are you seeing some big ducks at all? No, we're killing mostly teal down here. You know, we had a push of, uh, we had a lot of spoonbill early on. And, you know, I think that's, uh, I was talking today to a vendor of mine in Wisconsin, and, you know, he tells me, I said, how's the temperature? He said, well, it was 34 this morning, and it's supposed to be in the 50s. And he told me that they had got a big freeze in November. And, uh, you know, it had it was really cold in November, and then it warmed back up. And I guess those early spoonbill that we had come down, because usually we don't see them until we get some really cold weather. I think that must have been a, a initial push, and then everything kind of went stale after that because that once it once it cooled off up there, they went back. Yeah, I'm hearing reports that there's still a bunch of mallards in Alberta and Saskatchewan. I did hear that also. I there's did. no snow up there, so they're just hanging around. Yep, I did hear that also. The places that I usually hunt in, like North Dakota and Montana, Wyoming, like it's been dismal, like really slow because the push hasn't really gotten anywhere. There was an early push. There was. They got into northern Missouri. They got into Nebraska a little bit. But I'm talking like the big Canada geese and the mallard ducks. They have not gotten. They very rarely, very seldom, not very many of them got into Nebraska. Some of them were in South Dakota, but a lot of them are still north. You know, when I sent you that video of that, of that guy, that, that kid blowing that duck call two weekends ago. Yeah, Max. I don't know that I've personally ever seen that many speckle bellies on my way up there. Really? Yep. I, I, I'm telling you, the speckle bellies were everywhere. And, you know, usually you'll see them, uh, you know, a small wad outside of the big wads of snows, but they were, they had fields of just specks. So I don't know what that means in the terms of migration. 
I mean, I, I'm not that I don't I don't know where the speckle bell is migrate in relation to everything else. But uh, I saw I saw more of them, and you know, I saw a lot of pintail while I was hunting. Um, you saw some teal, lots of green wings. You know, just birds we don't normally see while we're hunting in Arkansas. We saw a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I remember when I was in Alberta and Saskatchewan, the number of speckle bellies that we were seeing in young specks, unbelievable. And I just got back from California, and the amount of speckle bellies there is off the chains. And out there, you can kill 10 specks per man per day. Wow. <clears throat> so we had a big day the other day, and <clears throat> the next day they killed 100. <clears throat> this morning they killed 100, so they, they like, it's getting right now. You know, they got some rain, and then when that rain hits, that those specks transition from the wet rice, the flooded rice fields, and they hit those dry rice fields that get that little bit of water on them, and they get that – it kind of – tenderizes the rice you know a little bit and gets it wet to where they enjoy eating it to where they don't when it's just pure dry huh. but now it's like you they're on them big time there and there's a ton of specs how's you up are the boys enjoying duck season did the how are the boys doing oh yeah no <laughs> they uh they actually checked out of school early today and took the day off of school tomorrow and they're on the way to duck camp right now nope no they they enjoying it man they they they're doing well they uh you know, Owen is in his junior year of, of football. So, uh, you know, he didn't – he Friday night lights and then Saturday morning uh, film. So, you know, he missed out on a lot of a lot of days early on. But now that they're done, he's trying to make, make back up for it. How does football season go? He did well, man. He did well. Uh, we had a good year. Uh, he had a little shoulder injury, you know, a dislocated shoulder. You know how that goes. But he uh, he was back in action at the end of the season. So, he, he got to do it. And – uh Max, the 13-year-old, he's, you know, played eighth grade uh, football this year. And now they're both practicing for baseball. And that's how it goes. Does he have any aspirations of moving on to the next level in football? No, oh, I don't know, man. I mean, he just, <laughs> just take it as it comes, you know. Does he love the game, though? He does. Whenever you're a big guy like that, you like pushing people around, you know. Does he get irritated, though, that he's got to miss all those days at duck camp? Uh, I don't think so. No, not really. I mean, I, honestly, I, 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 he he really, really loves the game, man. So that's part of it, you know. Football's a weird sport to me, man. I want to like it, and I do enjoy it, and I respect it. But, man, is it dangerous. Oh, yeah. I know that sounds – it sounds like I'm a pansy saying that, Kyle. But, man, I just – it. every time I watch a college or NFL game, it seems like there's 30, 40 injuries a game. It's not a question of, of if you're going to get hurt, it's when you're going to get hurt. Yeah. But you know, like he said, he said that there's, you know, he he plays other sports and he does everything. He like they both say, he said nothing like putting that helmet on. You know, it, it's just part of it. It's true. It's in Friday Night Lights. They mean, they mean everything to those high school years. I mean, some of the best memories are wrapped around, and especially like where y'all live in Texas and down there. Out out here, it's nowhere near as prevalent. Um, and neither is duck season. You know, like in the South, there's so much culture and tradition it's like that stuff kind of started to evaporate during the westward movement if that makes sense it's almost like people were in a rush to get out here because of the gold rush and to get to california and the silver rush and the mountains of nevada and the sierras and it's like that that whole culture of everything from food to religion, to hunting, turkey hunting, waterfowl hunting, fishing, like the culture of all that really stays true below the Mason-Dixon line, Midwest, Mississippi flyway, those areas. But it seems like the further the West you come, 
I don't know if there's really like what is California known for food wise or what's Nevada known for? We're known for gambling in Las Vegas, right? We we don't really have those roots of of like a place like the Cajun country of Louisiana has. And I know that it was earlier settlements out there and we settled later out here, but I just love being in that part of the country because of that culture, that respect for the land, the respect for the Lord, the respect for, you know, everything that you guys live on a daily basis. And football is a big part of that. Duck hunting is a big part of that. Fishing is a big part of that. And then you add on top of that, your entrepreneurial spirit and your business and Gator Tail and seeing all your dreams come true with that company. I mean, it's like, it doesn't get any better. You know what I mean about that culture down there? I think that our culture down here still, you know, even though it's a lot, it's, it's a lot more fast paced than what it was at one time. It's still not as fast paced as other areas. You know, it's still uh, going back to your roots, a lot of uh, treating people like you want to be treated. Um, you know, you're not you, you don't have a lot of corporate. I mean, you do. You do have some corporate down here, but it's not like that's not what runs everything here. You know, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, you, even, you know, you starting to see what wasn't at one time a large city, you know, uh, smaller cities. You know, they it's just being, you know, there's more, there's more uh things moving in. I mean I mean just I know that doesn't sound very big to some people, but you know, the local our local city here, uh Lafayette, I mean, they just built a Dave and Busters and a Top Golf. You know, I mean that's things that we used to have to drive two hours to see. You know, so it just it it's sounds weird, but that's that's what's going on. You know, our we, we still a lot of small town, even though we're not. Yeah, and I think that there there is something to be said about small town life, but I, I truly think that the culture of that part of the country is really, really special. And you guys might even take it for granted a little bit because it's like every day for you guys. So I think when a visitor or an outsider comes in, and I'm not saying you take it for granted, I'm saying maybe you do, but when an outsider comes in, like it's a really special thing to be able to go out and kill some teal then go in this body of water and catch some crabs and then go on this deck and cook them all and make an etouffee or a gumbo and a roux and learn about all that. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. I don't know if you guys know. I mean, I know you know how special it is and you cherish it and you don't take it for granted all the time, but maybe sometimes you're just like, this is just life for us. You know, you're so used to it because that's just the way life's always been. Yeah. No, and you know, I, I like you said about the food, I ask people about that. I'm like, you know, when I go places, if I, if, you know, whenever we go on a trip and we visit somewhere, I mean, we want, I want to eat. What's your local cuisine? What, what, is, what are you known for? What is? And there's a lot of people that are like nothing. Like <laughs> we don't, we have a pizza place down the road if that's what you want to eat, or we have an Italian restaurant here, or we have a, a Mexican restaurant. But there doesn't, there's no, there's no foods that that are the root of, you know. It, it's just you're right. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you go to Colorado, I know you go out there elk hunting. You know, Colorado has Rocky Mountain oysters. Other than that, you know, they're other than that, you know, they're known for Rocky Mountain High and Coors beer and and some other things. But the cuisine, it's just like we go to Seattle, they got the seafood market, but there's seafood on every part of the coast in this country and other countries. That's just part of it. Even where you live in the Gulf, seafood's a really prevalent meal down there. But I don't know. This that place down there is like we need to strive to become Southern. I think, I think most people, if they visited the South, they would want to become Southern. I don't think that there's a better place in the world than the South in the continental United States, all over the world. I've visited, 
And there's something about the people down there, the food, the culture, the way of life that's just special. Really, really cool. So you're lucky. And on top of that, you're getting to live the American dream with a lot of hard work and tenacity. You got your brains from your dad, I would guess. I've never met your mom, but your dad's a sharp cat and you're a very sharp individual. But on our last podcast, we talked about what has continued to set Gator Tell apart. Is there anything coming that you can talk about, Kyle, that that we need to be ready for? Is there some changes coming? Are there some new products coming? Is is there some innovation coming that your customer base or future customers can prepare for? Yeah, we we have we have a lot of new things in the works. Uh, I'm going to tell you about uh, one thing that we've been working on um, and we've been testing for a couple of years that um, we released it into the market this hunting season uh, on a limited basis. And uh, it has been a phenomenal product for us. We started building a uh, 23 horse EFI Mini, and we're just gonna call it. We'll call it a Mini. It's a it's a Mini surface drive that has a forward neutral and reverse uh, manual trim. Uh, we lightened it up. We probably shaved about 40 to 50 pounds off of the frame. And uh, I mean, this like on uh, my 13 year old Max on his boat. It's a uh, the little boat is a fourteen forty two you know standard um, John boat and you know we can put we can put four men in that boat with that twenty three horse EFI and get around in the marsh and do anything and everything you want to do um, so that's been a really neat little motor uh, we, we we released that this year uh, it's been good for us so we'll be we'll be building more of those we'll start seeing those in the dealer's hands. Uh, you're probably going to see some um, some media on it, those kind of things. Is it operable 100% just like the regular 40? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, this this particular motor is more for this is your entry level. This is your, uh, your person who has a John boat but always wanted a surface drive, but there wasn't a surface drive that, that would work on it. You know, our 40s were just too big. And for the guy that doesn't really want a big boat, they want to go a single, you know, somebody wants to hunt by himself and he doesn't want to have a 17 or 18 foot boat. He can put it on a small boat, on a sneak boat. Does the reverse work as powerful as the original reverse works? Obviously, doesn't have as much power, but is it still strong in reverse? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You just have to be careful you don't swap the boat, you know, because, I mean, it's a short transom motor. Uh, you know, if the boat on a, on a traditional John boat, the transoms aren't conducive for backing up really hard and really bad things. But I mean, as far as for picking up decoys and maneuvering the boat around and everything else you use reverse for every day, absolutely. It works great. It works really well. As a matter of fact, Chad, I'm pretty sure. In fact, I, I'm almost positive. You rode in, in one of those motors last year. That that Honda motor that we had on a frame last year whenever we was crabbing was that mini motor. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, on the crab, and I remember that now. Yeah, it's actually in that in on the on the on the TV show. Um, yeah. There's a shot of it, and uh, I'm pretty sure that was that was the mini motor in that and in that episode. Is that something that? What talk to me about California? Is California going to be cleared ever to have these motors? I don't. I don't really know, Chad. I mean, it's you know, look, there, there's customers that get them in there. Um, I mean, people. I guess people know how to how to do it. I I don't really know, but. So pretty, uh, and, and I don't want to sound like this, but a lot of the engine manufacturers have just washed their hands of even trying to <clears throat> get their product in the state. 
because they, I mean, they push in the, the, the all electric. So they're not even working hard to, to try to make the engines compatible anymore. Really? Yeah. But I, and then again, I think some of the regulations may have changed back in favor of, of being more lenient. But I, I'm not I'm not an emissions guy, so I really don't know. I don't know the regulations. So the 23 FI, and what about any other holes? Is there anything on the – are you changing anything there at all? Not really. Um, the holes are going to stay the same again this coming year. It ought to be pretty similar to, to what we've been doing in the past. Where do you see the brand as far as the popularity of it? Have you seen a huge – influx and growth and in, in let's say merch do you have more of these young kids these kids that are in their 20s that are in their first boat their first rig are you seeing your brand out there more so than just a tool on the water it's becoming like a lifestyle brand with the duck hunter the fisherman i wouldn't say that so much chad i mean i'm not going to say that the, the brand you know that the merch is is everywhere um i think these guys just you know they will you know what's funny chad is Two days ago, we had to go to a local mall to, to return something. And we pull in the parking lot and half of the stores are closed. And the ones that are open, only two doors are open because there's nobody there. And I, I, I specifically remember as a kid and not even as a kid, but as a young adult going to that same mall. And there were so many people there. There were so many people there that every parking spot was full and you had to park in the grass. And, you know, my grandmother, my late grandmother and I used to have these conversations about back in the day, whenever they would order from a catalog, you know, you'd go to the, they would go to a general merchandise store and they would order something from a catalog and then it would get shipped and then they would go and pick it up and bring it to their house. And I told my wife, I said, I never thought we'd see the day where we were back at the catalog days. And that's basically where we are. So what's happening is that 20-year-old, he's not buying everything that's on the shelf at the mall. He can see that he can buy him a gator tail shirt here. He can buy him a provider shirt. He can buy him a file life. He can buy, you know, he can buy 20 different brands of shirt at his fingertips, whereas before you couldn't do that. Yeah. It's a it's a tricky thing to, to be able to transition and be able to keep up with all of it. Because then you got... The social media aspect of influencing and and sales have changed marketing in a, in a big way. Yeah. The way people are getting their content and you can't be scared of it. You can't be ignorant of it. You got to adapt and and you know and and be versatile and 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 think outside the box, but it's definitely different. I see what you mean 100% because why would you spend gas money to go to the store? But uh, there's got to be some type of product lines out there that people want to be put their hands on before they buy it. Um, you know what I mean? Like a pair of boots, you could have them for years out, you know, years on end to where you just buy another pair because you know that you've, you've worn them for so many times. But a lot of times in those kind of products where like a pair of waders or a jacket, don't you think that somebody would want to be in the store and try it on to make sure that it's legit? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you, you do. Um, but and, and honestly, Chad, there's just there's not as many places for people to even try them on and buy them anymore. You know, I mean, that, 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 you go to some places, you can't even purchase things. You can't even purchase things live in, in, anymore if that's what you want. It's more of an order and see if it fits. If it don't fit, send it back. Yeah, I guess when you have destination stores, you know, and dealers like you have or like we have with Bandit, a Max Prairie Wings or a Simmons or a Final Flight or a Rogers, you know, there's a 
people still go to those stores. I think hunters. Oh, there's no doubt. They're, they're, look, I will not. I will not make a trip to Arkansas without stopping at Simmons and Max. I mean, you just you can't. You're gonna stop, and you're gonna see what the latest and greatest are. And I have a feeling that you know. I mean, store places like that, people drive probably a pretty large radius to go and visit. You know, for that. Big time. And I mean, all the outfitters around that area make sure that their clients have like a shuttle to go in and visit the store. It's like tradition or it's it's become a destination. You know, it's that it's got that reputation. And I enjoy that part of it, of that experience. You know, once you've been into Max, I, I go every year. Obviously, you go every year. You were in there again this year. You can't go there, like you said, without going into Max. But once you're in there, you know, you could say, all right, I'll, I'll, I've seen it. I've touched it. I'll go home. I'll order it so I don't have to carry it with me on the plane or whatever. But I still think there's something to be said about that buying experience live. Like I would love to be able to go to the Gator Tail shop and, and build my boat with you, you oh, know, yeah. and, 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 and I know you can do that at a dealer and your dealers are very prominent in that. But when I'm at your shop and I see you working and I get educated on the entire brand, I love that part of the shopping experience of being able to go and, and visualize it, see it, touch it, feel it, maybe even go out in the marsh and ride it with you, drive it with you, learn how, learn how it works. That would be an experience all in itself. We should do a giveaway, Kyle, to where one lucky winner gets to come down there and hunt with you and learn how to drive a gator tail. Because let's talk about that for a second. I know we've touched on it before, but this isn't something that you just get in and go. There's a lot to this that you learn every day on how to maneuver with these machines, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Talk to me about that a little bit. How long does it take a guy, girl, to become proficient with this type of motor in a safe fashion? Because there's a lot of things you can do with this type of motor. I think that the biggest thing, Chad, is that, and I think you and I have talked about this before, the biggest misconception with this is that people think because you in the shallow water, you need to go as fast as possible. So what you learn, the thing about learning how to run them is you have to learn to not always run them as fast as they go, slow down and use the reserve power for whenever you need it. And when you get in the bond then you squeeze the throttle and you, and you hit it a little bit harder, but it, you know, look, I, I don't know. I, I run these motors all the time and sometimes I still, I still learn something new. Tell me about that though. Like how fast do you like to go in these motors? When you know the waterway well, do you go f all out all the time with your motor when you're driving them, Kyle? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, it depends if, if, if I know where I'm at and I know it's all good. I mean, yeah, I, I, I will. But other than that, you know, I, I'm not saying that I always run them wide open, but I mean, if if I know where I'm going and 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 I'm in a hurry, yes, you can run them. It doesn't hurt to run them wide open, um, but you don't have to. I mean, if I'm in the woods, if I'm in the woods, there's no way I'm not running wide open. There's no reason to. You know, if I'm in an open lake, yeah. If I'm in a curvy bayou, no, I'll slow down. I mean, so it kind of just depends on the territory. What is the least amount of water you've ever ran one in depth-wise? Oh, we've run them in straight mud. I mean, just straight mud. Just getting that propeller down into the mud and giving it and letting it work its way through there. I mean, you, Chad, can, you saw last year, last year, whenever you came down. So last year, whenever you came down, we were we were in a drought, but not nearly as severe as what the drought was this year. So the problem with this year is that the ponds dried out totally. So the ponds dried out and the bottom was no longer soft. The bottom is hard like concrete. 
So, I mean, we were running these boats at the beginning of this season in six inches of water with a hard bottom, which is, you know, the propeller barely has any bite. You, you have to find a hole to get it on step, that kind of thing. Last year, whenever we was there, we was in millimeters of water on top of mud, soft mud. So, I mean, we just dig the prop down into the mud and propel off of the mud. What do you mean propel off of the mud? Do you how do you stick it like just right below the mud surface and let it dig in by itself as you yeah. accelerate? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to break here for a few commercials. Stay tuned. Innovative engineering applied and coolness throughout. I had an older gentleman tell me one day he was recently retired and he had bought him a gator tail boat motor and trailer. And he comes in and he says, son, he said, I got to tell you something. Whenever I retired, he said, I bought me a really shiny red Corvette. And he said, I thought I was going to get a lot of attention from that Corvette. And then I bought this damn gator tail boat and he said, I get way more attention pulling this boat around than I ever did in my red Corvette. <laughs> Thanks to Avery Outdoors, Realtree, Secure It, and Six hour for keeping the lights on. Chad Belding and Kyle Broussard of Gator Tail will return after we pay some bills. Don't go anywhere. You've heard us talking about how much we travel. Our trailers, our trucks, Corning Ford, Mickey Thompson tires, bodyguard bumpers. We have a leer on every one of our rigs. F-150s, F-250s, F-350s. There's some other trucks out there by other manufacturers. We don't mention those. We believe in Ford and we believe in Lear. We believe in security, protection from the elements, the rain, the snow, the hail, security for our dogs, our kennels anchored down in our truck bed covered by the Lear, windows open for breathability and oxygen and air. We believe in making sure when we stop at a hotel or a lodge that that Lear is locked, side windows that can pop up and for easy access, the back window, the tailgate down, everything is locked. There's so many different levels of security with your Lear. It's all prompted by your door locks and the electrical system in your trucks. You can unlock the door so easy. You can lock the door so easy. They come with backup keys to make sure that your side windows are locked, that your tailgate window and door hatch is locked. And then the Lear locker, we haven't even mentioned that. Push both buttons in, slide it down, tailgate has to to be up and we have another form of security for firearms for ammunition for valuables it protects our camera gear as we travel america and that lear logo is kind of like being part of a harley davidson clan you see so many more leers on the road once you have it on your truck and it's like a brotherhood a sisterhood i don't care if you're man woman boy girl i don't care if you just got your driver's license your hunting license there's so much pride in that lear brand capital l capital e capital e capital r lear toppers check them out we are so proud and honored to be partnered with Lear and we never ever take a trip without making sure that our trucks are loaded down and protected full security by Lear Toppers. I'm Chad Belding, the host of the Foul Life TV and the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you so much for supporting the brands that support us. Thank you for having a Lear on your next truck. If you're tired of settling for second-rate gear that doesn't perform when it counts, look no further than Bandit, the ultimate choice for hunters and outdoor enthusiasts. From top-of-the-line hunting jackets to ultra-comfortable, meticulously crafted waders, Bandit has everything you need to take your outdoor game to the next level. Their gear and innovations are anything but average, designed to give you the edge you need to succeed. But it's not just their gear that makes Bandit stand out. Bandit accessories like their backpacks, blind bags, gun cases, and more are built to withstand anything the outdoors can throw at you. Head to Bandit.com and experience the difference for yourself. Choose Bandit and dominate the outdoors like never before. It's called Benelli's The Foul Life for a reason. We love Benelli. They are the top shelf 
of waterfowl shotguns, all shotguns for that matter, in my opinion. But when you start talking about duck blinds, goose blinds, lay down blinds, panel blinds, pit blinds, the debris, the wear and tear, everything that we put our guns through throughout a duck season, whether it's a 60 day duck season in the south or you start up north and north of the border in Canada, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and follow the migration south. Some of us, myself included, hunt over 120 days a year. And every single time I squeeze that Benelli trigger, it goes bam. I'm so proud and honored to be part of the Benelli family. And when it comes to the Super Black Eagle 3, the 12 gauge, the 20 gauge, the 28 gauge, I absolutely love this line of shotguns, the inertia, every single thing from the rib down to the sight, to the choke tube, to the constrictions, the performance is what it's all about with Benelli. The Super Black Eagle series in 12 gauge, 20 gauge, and 28 gauge, whether you get Rob Roberts to build the performance shop or you keep them straight out of the box factory, they perform their simply perfect. It's Benelli. It's the confidence of shouldering that shotgun and the responsibility of pointing it at a live animal and squeezing that trigger. The dispatch, humane, ethics, everything that goes into it. Benelli believes in the culture of the duck hunter, the goose hunter, the turkey hunter, the upland hunter. So whether you're doing sporting clays, whether you're chasing waterfowl, chasing upland, chasing turkeys, Benelli builds a shotgun for you. Benelli's the foul life. They're 13 seasons as our title sponsor. Can you imagine this relationship. Thank you, Benelli. Thank you all for supporting Benelli. And I know it's all of our goal to walk into that sporting good, that Benelli dealer, that store and say, let me shoulder that super black eagle. And now you can do it in so many gauges, the sub gauges included. We're fired up. Good luck this season. Stay safe out there and shoot straight. Shoot Benelli. The Foul Life with Chad Belding and its highlight of Kyle Broussard and Gator Tail is just getting fired up. We need to strive to become Southern, I think. I think most people, if they visited the South, they would want to become Southern. I don't think that there's a better place in the world than the South. Whenever you get a Cajun man to come and to cook pot-roasted ducks, Cajun wing, that's a heart, and it's very, very good. Today's Southern Outdoor Exposure Experience is brought to you in part by Corning Ford, Lear, and Mickey Thompson Tire. Now, let's get back to Gator Country with Chad and Kyle. Tell me a little bit more about the beginning stages of that, Kyle, of the last time you were on when we were in Louisiana, we talked about your college project. This was your senior project as you designed this type of motor. It was the first one in its class. Um Tell me a little bit about that vision again of, of you saw this in your head, like you could take an outboard style motor and do a short shaft with it like that to where it would, it would be able to dig into mud like that and scoot your boat along. Even when the water depths are, are that shallow. We didn't know that it would propel that well in mud. That's not why I did it. I didn't, I didn't know that it was going to work that great in, in the mud application. It was the, the the original design was done for the ease of use and and to make it easier to drive is is why the initial design was done. We didn't have a, we didn't know it was going to work as good as it does in the mud and in the stumps and and you know in the hard bottom and everything that it works good in. But like I said, the original it was it was done for uh, for the ease of use ease of use but now it's become something to where it has a ton of different uses it's 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 not just easy to use but it's a diversified machine i mean you can use this thing 
anywhere. You don't even have to be in shallow water to use it. Like you said, if you're in a deeper lake, you can run this thing wide open and it will get you to where you need to go. So it's not just for shallow water, even though that could be assumed with the way it was built. That and that was the big thing, Chad, is that, you know, before we would have an outboard and a, a, a long tail, you know, you'd have to have both. And what we saw by building this is you could get away with not having both. You could you could run a gator tail for 12 months out of the year to do everything we were doing with them. And then come hunting season, you just get in and start hunting. It, you know, so that's what set it apart from. But it, that, that wasn't the original intention. The original intention was just to make it easier to drive for hunting season. And then we saw how well it performed and we saw the other aspects of it, how, how, better, how much better it worked in soft mud than what the long tail did. And it that's that's where it changed. Tell me about the first one you sold, Kyle Broussard. What was the first? Do you remember your first customer? Was it a local? Was it a family member that was throwing you a bone? Do you remember your first sale? No, the first we basically sold two of them in uh, in, in parallel, and and two of them. One of them he uh, he runs. <laughs> he became a good friend. He 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 runs and owns one of the largest supermarket chains in louisiana uh and and look he was very patient with us because the first ones there were still problems you know we still had things that broke we still had problems but he stayed working with us and we got it done and the other one was a, a gentleman that uh unfortunately he he passed away quite a few years ago but uh they he the the older gentleman and his wife purchased the boat to fish and they were they were fishing in the shallow water in the wintertime is what they purchased their boat for. Wow. So yeah. how fast did it happen after that? You start getting word of mouth. You have to heavy market this thing. How did it how did it the momentum start to build in the early stages? Man, it's it was probably word of mouth. It was word of mouth. You know, I I had a I had an older gentleman tell me one day he was recently retired. I guess he was, you know, between sixty-five and seventy years old. And he had bought he bought him a gator tail boat motor and trailer. And he comes in and he says, he says, son, he said, I gotta tell you something. I said, what's that? He said, you know, whenever I retired, he said, I bought me a really shiny red Corvette. And he said, I thought I was gonna get a lot of attention from that Corvette. He said, and then I bought this damn gator tail boat. And he said, I get way more attention pulling this <laughs> boat around than I ever did in my red Corvette. <laughs> and I mean, you got to understand it was something new. I mean, something new. You couldn't you couldn't drive down the highway without somebody trying to almost run you off the road because they wanted to see what you were pulling. You know, I mean, how many times are you driving down the road? And you're trying to switch lanes and you can't because somebody's on the side of the boat trying to look at it and. You know, look, back honestly, back then there was no camera phone. So we didn't have we didn't have to worry about people taking pictures, but they wanted to see it. So I mean, uh, you know, it started off I was pulling them down the road with with a tarp wrapped around them so nobody would see what it was. And then I made a sticker on the back with, with the name and, and with my phone and my phone number and um just started going from there. And yes, we we spent money on marketing, you know. Who knew? What what the amount of money that was spent on marketing, who knew what worked and what didn't? Who really knows? You still don't know. Still don't know. No. Do you still get as giddy every time you see him being taken off your lot than you did back as you did back in the initial days? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it makes me proud. It makes me very, very proud. Very proud. Very proud. It should. It's a freaking awesome brand. Great product. But, I mean, Chad, you got to understand right now, between the two companies, we probably have around 62 employees. 
So, you know, that's a big weight to make sure that these 62 people have, have a job to go home to, come to every day. They bring a paycheck home to their families. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, and that's, you know, it's as as much as you see them, like you said, do you see them get, it, get giddy every time they leave? Yes. But, you know, you, you have to stay on top of quality. You got to stay on top of service and you got to make sure that these customers are satisfied and that we're putting out good product because everybody's job depends on it. 100%. But that's why it's successful is because you've never lost touch of that. You always have your finger on it. I'm not saying you're a micromanager, but you're present. That's, you're there. You're there pretty much every single day of the work week. That is correct. So my buddy texted me yesterday. He said, have you been hunting? I said, what is that? I said, what is that? I said, you know what I do for a living. I will only hunt on the weekends. Or he texted me yesterday morning. Are you hunting today? No, I'm not hunting today. I'm I'm working. You know, like <laughs> this is this is our time. Yeah, so, this is the season. Yeah. That's freaking cool, man. Yeah. How is your dad? He's good, man. He's good. He's good. Still at work every day. How old is he now? 76. And still working every day. I mean, he'll take off if he if he has something to do, but I mean, he he likes to keep his mind active. I mean, he's uh, in fact, today he was working on uh, we 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 adding some some welding, adding on to our welding shop. You know, he's laying it out, adding some some stuff here and there. So he's working on that aspect of it today. I need to get back down there. You're welcome anytime, buddy. I need to go back and get some of that. Uh, my friend Kyle told me that he was going to send me a special package of more duck boudin, but I, every day I look out there on the porch and there's no duck boudin. And I'm like, where's the duck boudin? I guess you would have to kill more ducks, right? To get me duck well, boudin that or what? That was, that's, that's a problem about living in a small town in South Louisiana. There's nobody that can next day air frozen food. Uh, it's just not a conducive thing. Well, we, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. But we got to kill some more ducks. Oh, I'll take deer then. I'll take the deer boot in. I'll take whatever. That wild game boot in y'all do down there is awesome. You know, it's funny. We, so today, of course, woke up, didn't eat any breakfast, didn't stop. And around 11 o'clock, I smell something in the kitchen in the shop. It's boot in. Somebody dropped off. One of the vendors dropped off a bag of boot in. So I ate breakfast at, I don't know, 10 o'clock this morning. I ate a thing of boot in. Well, I didn't stop for lunch. At 3 o'clock this afternoon at 2.30, I said, well, I guess I'll eat another link of boudin. That's my lunch. So it's just just pass by and eat it, whatever is there. Do you always just eat it and get it out of the casing and eat it like that? Or do you make sandwiches with it? What do you like to do with it? No, I just eat it out of the casing. I mean, it's – now, look, there, there's, you know, one of the best things ever is we call it boudin egg rolls. And you take wonton wrappers and you take the boudin out of the casing and you put it inside that wonton wrapper – and uh, fry it in a and deep fry. I mean, and you can dip. You take it and you dip that in either a steam syrup or a pepper jelly. I mean, that is just phenomenal. I've had those. And then, um, do you like the burritos too? Like they they do the boudin burritos. I've seen. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not overly zealous. I just love boudin. I just God, it's so freaking good. Blood sausage was that the original part of boudin? Yeah, I mean it's it's it was made with the innards. I mean now you see, okay, now another thing we eat down here is I, I mean we call it a rice dressing, and I, I think I may have, I I probably cooked some for you. Uh, people make dressing mix, so you take all the innards, the same innards that's inside of boudin, then make a dressing mix, and you take the dressing mix and you you, you heat it up, and you can brown some ground meat with it, and 
you're basically making, it's like a dirty rice. People refer to it as dirty rice or, or rice dressing. And uh, so we'll cook that as a side dish. If we are grilling, you know, if we're grilling steaks or we're grilling chicken or grilling pork chops or, or you know, sausage or whatever, but you, you cook a rice dressing. So we eat, we'll eat that and not so much. It's not a, uh, it, it, it has more rice than what a boudin would have, I imagine. Do you eat rice every day where you live? Oh, no. No, no. If I ate rice every day, I wouldn't fit through that door. <laughs> I will tell you, I, I, I will tell you this. Growing up, my grandfather ate, my grandmother cooked rice and gravy every day. She cooked rice and gravy every day. And my grandfather ate rice and gravy every day. But he also worked in the yard every day, too. So yeah, it's physical every day. Yes. And and the, the biggest thing is, yeah, you can eat rice every day. You can't eat rice two times a day. You can't eat rice for lunch and for supper or, you know, so I'm going to tell you, but that every day around here, there's a restaurant serving rice and gravy. Rice is good, but you're like, like the carbs, I get it. The sugar, I get it. But man, it would be hard for me not to eat boudin every day. But again, here we are in that it, once you're around it every day, it's probably not as special to you as it is to somebody like me that doesn't have it at his fingertips every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and look, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't, I, I promise you, I don't eat boudin once a month. You know, that's not, you know, that that's, that's not a, it's every once in a while, like Charles told you, you get an on V, you'll get an on V for something. Then you go right to the store and get some boudin. But uh, I miss that guy, man. I miss that dude. <laughs> what was the thing that he called the, um, the beginning of the rue when you brown it up and you get the little, uh, the gliads, the gliads, the gliads, the gliads, the gliads at the bottom of the, at the bottom of the, uh, the bottom of the pot. Does your family cook like that on a nightly basis? I'm not saying that you stand around a big pot and do a gumbo, but do you guys do a traditional Cajun meal once a day or no, a couple no, no, times no. a week? No, no. Like, you know, I'll, I'll cook, uh, like my wife, she doesn't cook traditional Cajun meals. You know, uh, my wife's a school teacher. So, you know, when she gets off, she, she prepares dinner, you know, so she does a lot of, uh, much healthier things than, than, a traditional Cajun meal, you know, traditional Cajun meals are something that'll take several hours. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of layers to it. Like we always would talk about. So, you know, we'll, I'll cook sometimes on a Sunday, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cook a, a, a traditional Cajun meal on a Sunday and, you know, have leftovers and eat that during the week. But that's the other thing. I, it's hard to cook a Cajun meal in small quantities. So when you're cooking this, we're cooking in big quantities like tomorrow, we're going to cook, um, we're doing a seafood gumbo and a chicken and sausage gumbo with a potato salad and bread and uh, I'm sure a dessert. I mean, we got all kinds of things going on. Oh, God. That yeah. makes me so jealous. Yeah. It does. It's so, I've told you before, but man, some of my best meals on the road, Canada with Cajuns. You just meet them in camp. They're up there from Louisiana and the hunt's over in the morning. They get a cold beer and they start building that roux. And they brown the speck legs or the duck leg. I mean, it's just a process. Like you're saying, there's layers on top of layers. It's an experience. It's culture, man. It's like you don't want to miss out on that. You know what I mean? You ain't going to go take a nap. I'm not going to go nap when I have a chance to do that. But, you know, and look, that's that's part of that's part of what everybody has their specialty. You know, whenever I get invited to go on a hunt, I'm like, OK, I'm bringing my pot. What you want me to cook? And look, I'm I'm a decent cook, but I'm not a great cook. I you know I got friends of mine that are way better cooks than me. 
So that's one thing about having the new the new place is that it sleeps 20 people. So we we invite guest chefs. In other words, even if my buddy don't like the duck hunt, but come on over, come in, come pick and drink beer, you know, like and that's what there's a lot of people that just like to cook. They they enjoy that, you know, and, and there's some people that are just really good cooks. Oh, I agree hundred percent. And a lot of them come from where you live. The ones yeah, but I mean, look, look, whenever you was down here, I mean, you got on the grill, like you prepared us stuff on the grill. Like we don't eat around here. And it was unbelievable. You know, so everybody has their specialty. I mean, your specialty probably wouldn't have been to make a gumbo that night or a crab stew. But the next night you did the grill stuff and it was phenomenal. So I think everybody has their expertise. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. I think that. I think that being at camp also brings it out in people too. Like it's, it's more, it feels more special to me on that deck than it probably would have it just being at somebody's house down there. It's, you know, the experience is cool, but I think that the tradition of duck camp adds to it as well. When you have that experience of the cook as well. Yeah. Have you ever eaten ducks cooked in a black pot Cajun, you know, like in a, like a Dutch oven or something, like a cast iron? A cast iron, but brown really hard with a dark gravy with, you know, the Cajun, you know, Cajun Trinity. You know, have you ever eaten ducks that way? No, but I want to. And look, I, I'm I'm not I'm I'm again, I'm not the best I'm not the best cook around. Whenever you get a Cajun man to come and to cook pot roasted ducks, Cajun way, I tell you, man, that's that's an art and it's very, very good. Well, do you have the recipe? Not a recipe. I mean, it's, it's it's really not a recipe. Well, I know what the Trinity is, and I know how to start making the gravy. I mean, basic. I mean, you, that's what you do. You what you do is you take them and you brown them. You know, a good plucked duck, and I mean, you you know, you'll do them with a uh, teal or or the bigger ducks. You quarter them, not even quarter them. I mean, uh, you know, a small a small duck. They would take a teal, uh, like a uh, a plucked teal. They'd stuff it with fresh sausage you know, a fresh pork sausage in the cavity and then cut some slits and stuff, put some, some garlic in the meat, but you just brown, brown the ducks really, really well. Uh, take your time, brown them, brown them good. Take them out, put your, your onions and bell peppers, you know, make your gravy, put your ducks back in and just keeps, keep cooking them down and cooking them down and cooking them down. And that's, uh, that's really good. Was it, is it kind of get it to where it just falls off the bone? Like it'd be a slow cook process to where the duck just, just falls off of the bone. Do you put it in there with the skin on it and all of it? With the skin on it. Yep. And it's a, uh, uh, and it, and I guess you kind of making kind of sort of a grease gravy because it, it is a little greasy because you're leaving the, uh, it's really good, man. It's really good. And it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of patience because that's not, that's not a meal that you can, you can cook fast. You know, you got to have a lot of time. You got it. it. It takes patience. I want to do it. I want to do it sooner than later. I don't think I want to wait till I come down there to do it with you. But I got the cast iron. It's like a Dutch oven, right? The one that's about yeah. six, seven inches deep. Yeah. I want to do that. I mean, you, what, I'm trying to think. I mean, you, you've seen the, and that's why, see, a lot down here, they used to cook a lot of wood ducks, you know, back in the day, a lot of wood ducks, uh, teal. Uh, a mallard is a hard duck to cook whole, whole, just because it's so big. It's going to dry out. So you need to cut those into smaller pieces. But uh, yeah. So how many, if I fill that up with teal, you put seven, eight teal in there? So I've, I've already seen them where they take it and they'll put 15 or 20 teal. In other words, they'll take them and stand them up, breast down, but feet up. And they'll take it in where you can't see. It's just a solid pot of ducks in there. 
after they brown and you just let them keep cooking down and cooking down and cooking down. And one of those guys that I've eaten him where he did them, he used a mustard base. He would mustard base those those teal before he browned them. Really? Yep. So then once the ducks cook down, you remove them and then you use all that duck grease to, as the base of your gravy? Well, no, not once they cook down. In other words, you would brown the ducks first. You brown them. You fry them in a pot. So you brown them. Then as you brown them, you take them out. So you brown the ducks, you take them out. You know, you getting, that's where you building all the gliads on the bottom of the pan, is what Charles says. You browning that, that's your gliads. So after you, and you, you, you frying them in, you fry them in a duck, in a, in a, in a bacon. Well, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll fry some bacon and use bacon grease to, to brown the ducks. But you, that's where you're getting all the gliads at the bottom. You, you browning them, you letting them stick. And then as you, you brown all the ducks first and you remove them, then you throw your onions and bell peppers in there to, uh, you throw your onions and bell peppers in there. And that's where you make, that's where your gravy comes into play. You brown your onions and bell peppers. And as those get translucent, that's taking all the, 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 the gliads and the, the, the gravy off the bottom of the pot. And that's where you're making your gravy. So after you do that, you, you know, you got your, your gravy the way you want. You put the ducks back in and start adding your water and you put the water over the top of the ducks and you let it cook down. And then you take, you open it, put some more water and let it cook down. And you basically keep cooking it down, cooking it down, cooking it down until you feel like your ducks are tender enough. So that gravy still in the bottom of that as you add the water and cook it down? Absolutely. Gravy never leaves. Gravy never leaves. Your gravy is made by the gliads, like the, the, the gliads, the same. So the first night when we cooked that smothered sausage, that's what we did. Yeah. We browned the sausage. We took them out. If you remember, he put them on the, probably on the lid of the pot, threw his onions and bell peppers in there. Now he may have used a little bit of roux, but we don't necessarily, when I'm cooking something like that, I don't, it's not a roux base. So we not, I don't use roux. It's an oil base. With this duck recipe. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, that's how we cook. That's basically how we cook everything. It's not a uh, same way we cook in the ducks. It's the same way we would cook uh, smothered pork. You know, a pork, a pork chops. If we want to cook a gravy, that that's basically always the base for cooking a gravy. And you cook them down like that in that pot, lid on. Cook the water down. Add more water. Cook the water down again. So what you do is, if you want, you not lid on. Actually, you have to leave. You leave a, a crack in the lid. So a crack in the lid lets the water, the steam escape and then cook down. And then you put more and you let it boil. You cook it on high and you let it, you let it, if you, if you leave it lid, lid on, the, the water can't escape. So you basically, at that point in time, you're not thickening your gravy. The way you, your gravy gets thicker is by the evaporation process is, is, is coming down and it's, it's, I guess, I don't know, it's tenderizing the meat, it's just cooking it. So it's adding the, to the thickness of the gravy at that point in time. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And the I holy mean, trinity. I know there's some guys that they like to, uh, they'll do, I mean, I've seen recipes where they'll smoke the duck and then stuff it with, with, with rice and then make a gravy. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things. But just a good smothered down duck rice and gravy is hard to beat. That's your favorite duck recipe. It is. It is. I mean, I like all the grilled breasts and all of that. And, you know, in today's world, people don't take the time to hand plug ducks and make them as pretty as as what we used to. And, and it's it's a shame because it's it's really, really good that way. I'm going I'm to tell you a quick story. Another one of my grandmothers, she passed away a couple of years ago. I remember my, my growing up, my grandfather was a duck hunter and um, I never got a chance to hunt with him. But he would he would send ducks home, with, you know, to my house and my mom would cook them. And 
I remember eating them and man, I love them. They were, they were so good. You know, I just thought ducks tasted good. Some people, as you know, don't have a palate for them. They don't like them. So anyhow, later on in life, whenever I started duck hunting, I said, well, I'm going to pluck some ducks from my grandmother and uh, I'm going to bring them some. So I, I killed some ducks. I hand plucked them, you know, brought her, having many ducks. And uh, she called me. She said, she said, Deb, she said, I want to tell you, thank you for them ducks. She said, I cooked them and they were delicious. I said, oh, yeah. I said, how you cooked them, mama? She said, well, I took all that skin off of them. I cut all that skin off of them. And then I put them in the. In the pot, I said, well, <laughs> I said, I'm not plucking duck. If my, if my grandmother don't want to cook them with skin on, I'm not plucking ducks for anybody else anymore. I'm just going to skin them. <laughs> but it was so funny. I'd taken all the time to hand pluck them things so she could cook them. And she went and she was cooking them for me, you know, and she to go eat with her. But I thought that was so funny. She was not informed or instructed by her grandson that you leave the skin on. You just assumed she would. Like well, a chicken. Her her thing was she and look, she had she her whole life she she cooked wild game, but she didn't like to cook it with the skin on because it made the gravy too greasy. It made a greasy gravy. And that's the thing about the same way how the rage is, you know, duck fat, you know, people like the duck fat. When the skin is left on, it leaves a grease in the gravy that it's an oily gravy. It is. And so whenever you throw that on top of your rice, it's just a different dynamic. It's not, it's something different. It's a, it's, that's part of, that's part of the flavor. No. And there's a lot of oil and grease in a duck skin and duck fat. A lot that's of right. it. Right. That's why it's so tasty. Like with speckle bellies, I won't eat a speck. I will. I won't say I won't, but I'd leave all the skin and fat on every speck. I, I pluck them all. Yeah. That's especially when they're in the, that wet rice. I love that. See, and that was something growing up. We didn't, we didn't eat either speckle bellies because Nope. Speckle bellies didn't come here. They go further to the west. And uh, I remember the first time I ate a speckle belly, my, my, a friend of mine's mom, growing up, a good friend of mine, their dad was a game warden. And he was a game warden on the western side of the state. So long story short, every once in a while, somebody would give him some speckle bellies. And I remember Miss Sandy put that thing in the oven in a browning bag like they would cook a turkey. Oh. We thought that was the best thing we ever ate whenever we ate the first speckled belly. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. Uh, they are phenomenal. A lot of people say that the Sandhill Crane is the best, and a lot of them taste good. A wood duck's good. A teal is a phenomenal bird. Eat a fat, a fat widgeon can be good. A fat pintail can be good. I love corn-fed mallards, but it's consistently speckle bellies are the ribeye in the sky for me. But as soon as they transition from that rice to the grass or the alfalfa, the wheat, you know, and they start moving north, completely different diet changes the whole texture and, and taste of the meat. Not even close. I told you that story about the old gentleman that, that we had talked to at uh, Falk's Game Calls. I mean, you remember, I told you about that podcast that I listened to him with Ramsey. Yeah. But when he, he they asked him, what's the biggest difference? What, what is the biggest change in duck hunting today? than it was whenever you was a little kid. And his response was the way that ducks taste. He said that whenever he was a kid, ducks tasted like farm-raised animals. And he said, now they don't. And you got you to think about that. Every, everything that a human being has polluted from all the way up north down to Louisiana is in our water system. And that has to affect the way that birds taste these days. Yes. 
I agree. And that when they're on the right diet, it's kind of like deer. When a deer's on the right diet and he's not eating sagebrush like you, like, you know, they do in Colorado or buckbrush and they get in those alfalfa fields, it completely changes the way they taste. Um, what's next? When am I going to see you again? You coming to Nashville for NWTF? You coming to Safari Club? Am I going to, am I going to see you around the neck of the woods or do I have to come there every time? I don't know. I got, I got boat shows starting in the spring. You know, the springtime is our boat show season. Two kids in baseball. Uh, you know, I mean, Chad, you know, you and I talked about this. You know, there's only a short period of time where we get to catch them games whenever they're playing. And then after that, it's over. Yep. And, you know, we, you know, that's, I have, I did not miss one high school football game this year. Um, Good for you. And, uh, you know, cut some shit, cut some hunt short, you know, because I, I do, my elk hunt is at that, at that time. I had, I had two boat shows to go to, but uh, just kind of work around it. So, but I don't know. Maybe 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 we'll we'll look at that. Maybe we'll we'll see about trying to hit the road. That and uh, I'll get down there. I want to go fishing this spring. We should go hook up and kill a turkey together somewhere. That I'm would be kind never, of fun. I've never I've never killed a turkey. Are you ser- really? I'm not gonna. I hate when people do that. When somebody says something like that, are you serious? You've never seen that movie? Like you know, like who cares? But yeah, it, it's. It's not for everybody, and I, well, I like it. It ain't knowledge for me. Honestly, Chad, it was one of them things that I had so many other things, and so you know, I I I, I like to fish, I like to hunt, and I got kids that in sports, and it was one of them things. I said, well, I said maybe after the kids have grown and in college, maybe I'll pick that up. You know, it was just, and we don't have turkey. We don't have a lot of turkey here. It's a traveling. It, you have to travel. It's not like in our backyard. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe we can do that. I went on one turkey hunt. I went on a turkey hunt in Georgia. I got invited and went to live a boat. Bubba and I went and made the trip. And uh, I get back and I'm pretty sure I stepped on a snake in, at night because you can't turn the light on because they don't want you to walk with a light because you're going to scare the turkeys. I'm pretty sure I stepped, I stepped on a snake and I don't like snakes very much. Then I had <laughs> red bugs in every crack of, 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 of my body, it seemed like. And I'm like, man, I don't know about this. <laughs> so. I don't like snakes either. I'm not scared of them, but I don't like, I don't want to have a, I don't want to have a copperhead or a freaking cotton mouse coming up on me when I'm in the duck blind. <laughs> All right, my man. Alligators, well, I appreciate- alligators don't bother me, but sometimes snakes do. Yeah. Gators a little bit. They scare me a little bit. I ain't going to lie. I ain't going right. to lie. What you need to do, what we need to do is come down to Pecan Island if you can't make it during during duck season this year. Come down and we're gonna go do some uh, some fishing and we'll go do some frogging. What part of the year would I do would would be best for me to be there for that? No, we'll start. We're gonna start frogging in February probably. It's usually whenever the first little warm front that comes around. It's closed during the months of uh, April and May. I think it's the two months that it's closed for the spawning season. So we got to get there in June. June's on, yeah, I mean, you could do it in June. I mean, we'll catch them. Like I said, we'll catch them. And uh, by June time, we usually fish in redfish. You know, we'll, we'll be catching redfish in the marsh, but you can come do that too. But our seasons, our seasons in Louisiana go by hunting season, frogging season, fishing season. You know, it's not <laughs> college, college football season, high school football season, baseball season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all those seasons well I'll, I'll get with you after this i'll get with you in the next couple of days and i'll get a a trip plan to come down i'd love to do that frogging and that fishing with you i'd love it as you know the temperature is the same year round over here so except for the summertime it's 110 so other yeah. than that that's uh i can go for, i can go without that without humidity are you i appreciate in, you being on what's that bud are you coming to drew's place are you coming to honey break this year 
No, I'm not coming this year. I'll see him at NWTF in Nashville. I need to come back. I need, I want to hunt with you again next year. We'll start planning it. When is when is into NWTF? February 14th through like the 17th, that Wednesday through Saturday. Okay. In Nashville. I guarantee you we got boat show that week around that same time. We'll see though. Maybe we can make it up. Maybe it's in Nashville. Where where is where is the the show in Nashville? Where where uh, the Gaylord Opry Center out in Music Valley by the Grand Old Opry? Oh, it's over there. Okay, yeah, it's out there in Music Valley. That okay. whole convention center, the Gaylord. Oh, that place is beautiful. Yeah, it is. Went there last year, man. We uh, we went last summer, my wife and I. Well, look at it and send me a text, and I hope to see you there. And then I'll get you some. Uh, maybe I'll get I'll text you and get some dates solidified to come out and frog and fish. Sounds good, buddy. Nice talking with you. Enjoy. You're the man, Kyle Gatortail. Appreciate you being here, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, buddy. Take care. Thank you. Alligators don't bother me, but sometimes snakes do. They scare me a little bit. I ain't gonna lie. What we need to do is come down to Pecan Island if you can't make it during duck season this year. Come down and we're gonna go do some fishing and we're gonna do some frogging. Thanks to the provider, American Almond Beef and Cowboy Choice Feeds for being valuable members of the fowl life. That water's right and the weather's perfect. No telling what I might catch today. Chad and Kyle will return after the break to close out the show. Let's keep it Cajun. Hang tight. The Answer 12 is our new Foul Life Edition safe gun storage system from our friends at Secure It. Brand new design, so much room, so much organization, so much potential, so many options. You can see videos on our YouTube, on episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life airing exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. We do everything with our Secure It Answer 12 Foul Life Edition safe. Check them out at secureit.com right now and design your own. Get the cubbies, get the shelves, get the bungees, get the magnetic hanging hooks. You got plenty of room for 12 long guns in there and the organization that you can do with everything from knives to binos to dog training equipment to sporting clay equipment to eyewear ear protection all of your chokes all of your sights everything that you want you can organize it for different times of the year it might be dog training season it might be sporting clay season it might be duck season it might be turkey season organize it it is a safe built for the shot gunner my friends tom chris everybody in new york and secure it helped me design this safe our crew went to work on it and we have come up with a configuration that will allow you to make it your own comes with the magnet set with the foul life with lab and ducks and flocks, working geese, working ducks. The Foul Life Edition Secure It Answer 12 Safe is available right now at secureit.com. Check us out this coming February at the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. We will have more of them on site, on display like we did last year in our booth. It's going to be magnificent. I hope you get a chance to get your hands on your own, organize it the way that you see fit. And when you open those doors and see what you've created, it's going to give you even more energy, even more aura, even more enthusiasm for this unbelievable lifestyle that we get to live as an American shotgunner, American duck hunter, turkey hunter, upland hunter, dog trainer. Let's do it. Get the Answer 12 Foul Life Edition right now at secureit.com. You can't go wrong with it. Thank you so much, Secure It, and thank you all so much for supporting the brands that support us here at the Foul Life Podcast and the Foul Life TV. When it comes to setting up the perfect spread, there's one crucial element, motion. Ducks have sharp eyes, and static decoys won't fool them for long. 
That's where motion decoys step in, bringing your spread to life and creating an irresistible scene. So why are motion decoys so important? Ducks are social creatures, and they seek cues that signal safety for landing. By adding motion to your spread, you're telling passing flocks that it's all clear and inviting them to join the party. Mojo's spinning wing decoys emulate the flash of duck wings from afar to draw them in and finish them like magic. Mojo's decoys are specifically designed to catch ducks' attention, and Mojo's motion decoys shine on those calm or low wind days when natural water movement is lacking. So if you're serious about bringing ducks to your blind, embrace the power of motion decoys with Mojo and head for MojoOutdoors.com today. Keep talking. That's our slogan at Jargon Game Calls. The new Mega Four single read duck call with our extensive research of the gut system, the design in the Mega Four. It's different. It hits harder. It operates differently than any duck call in the market. We've heard it from everybody. They could be blown a competitor's call for years, and there's so many great duck and goose calls out there. And when they pick up the Mega Four, they're like, holy smokes, the best duck call I've ever operated. You don't really blow a duck call or a goose call. You operate it. It's an air system. We can go into that, but you can find instructional videos at jargongamecalls.com on our YouTube, on episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life on the Outdoor Channel. Duck calling and goose calling is an art, as well as turkey calling, and our entire turkey call line is available at jargongamecalls.com. But the Mega Four, and then you get into short read goose calls, the wrecking ball and the crazy train. Listen to the difference in sound, the ease of use, the quality of acrylic, the turning of it, the design, the engraving. A lot of research has gone into these designs. My partner Chris, myself, our entire crew at Jargon, located in Northeast Arkansas, right in the heart of Mallard Duck Country. They're designed in America, and they're built by craftsmen, dreamers, duck hunters, waterfowl lovers, duck camp goers. We absolutely love this lifestyle, and our entire line of J-Frame single-read duck calls, our double-read, the icebreaker, you're going to love them all. People are going nuts about the sounds and the results they're getting from Jargon Game Calls, both our duck, goose, and turkey calls. More to come. Visit us at jargongamecalls.com and get you a mega four for this season a live duck a paradox so many great duck calls to choose from and don't forget that crazy train and wrecking ball short read style canada goose calls we just hammered them in upstate new york with them on our lanyards the geese truly respond to them. i'm chad belding with the foul life television thank you for supporting jargon game calls we're sad too today's broadcast of the foul life is taking off for another adventure enjoy the man kyle gator tail appreciate you being here brother i'll talk to you soon thank you buddy take care thank you but don't fret because there's plenty of the foul life action to be found on soundcloud iheart spotify and at thefoullife.com thanks for listening and always keep it foul